Warning, the following podcast may be harmful to your marriage or relationships if used in an attempt to change anyone but yourself. Are you that old buddy? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's right and what's wrong with relationships and marriage in our world today. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire. I have here a special guest all the way recorded live from Taiwan. That's right. It is it is 6.30 p.m. where I am and where my guest is, Cindy Wang Brandt, is uh, what time is it there? Seven thirty in the morning. Seven thirty yeah. in the morning. That's right. All right. What what uh, city in Taiwan are you? Yeah. It's called Kaohsiung. It's in the southern. Uh, it's not the capital, but the second largest city in Taiwan. Oh, okay, Taipei, I yeah. guess the is the big one. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Cindy has written a book called Parenting Forward. And the subtitle is How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness. I was uh, recently shown this book, turned onto this book, and I've read most of it now, and I found a whole bunch of great little nuggets in it, and I wish I'd have had this 30 years ago, some of the concepts. But now that I'm a grandfather, that's a big do-over anyway, and so I'm going to apply a lot of it to being a grandfather. And a lot of it resonated with me. But I'm going to let uh, Cindy tell you a little bit about who she is, a little bit about her story, and, and what led to this book, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me, John. Um, yeah, so my name is Cindy Wong Brandt, and I grew up in Taiwan, where I am still. And um, so I call myself a missionary convert, which just means I was converted by missionaries. Um, so I grew up in a religious family. And um, my parents sent me to a Christian school that was run by missionaries and they, you know, converted me and I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. Um, And then I kind of went through that system in that Christian school. I went to a Christian college, Wheaton College. Some of you may have heard of it. I went to seminary um, and then I started to um, begin to really have a lot of questions and doubts. And, and um, I would say I've gone through a faith shift, which is the term that my friend Kathy Escobar uses, which I borrow all the time. Um, and so, so then I, I started to, well, at the same time, I became a mother and I had two kids. And so I, I needed to figure out how I was going to parent my kids with um, with the values that have are shifting, um, how do you parent kids when, you know, I think in the past, generation after generation, the values that people had stayed more consistent. But I think we're in a time and a generation where there's a lot of conflicting ideas. There's a lot of noise. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of tumult. There's a lot of change. Um, in in almost every area of life, not just religion, right? Um, and so I think it's it's like I think I heard someone say, 
we, we are sort of rejecting some of our old stories, but we don't yet have a new story. Um, and so I think it's a really difficult <laughs> um, place to be at. And I needed to find a community. I needed to find a way to figure out how we can be faithful parents to the next generation that we're raising them right. I mean, that stays consistent. We always want to do the best for our kids and we want to, um, yeah, just do good by them and by, by not just our kids, but the next generation kids in general. Um, and so for you, even as a grandpa, you are participating in that because you have kids in your life. Um, so for anybody who has kids in, in their lives, I think we have to grapple with how do we do that with our shifting values? How do we find that new story? And that's why I bought, I, that's why I wrote my book, Parenting Forward. Yeah, I, I hear what you say. I, I, I was very fortunate, and I think it might have been the biggest reason why I still have a faith and still try to follow Christ, is that my parents focused a lot more on helping me uh, acquire the values of, of that, that Christ taught, loving your neighbor, um, being compassionate, especially towards those that are marginalized and those kind of things more than um, making me buy into a set of doctrinal uh, forays. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, um, but I know a lot, and I know there's degrees of this. I hear, I think what I hear you saying is that uh, more and more people are saying, Hey, uh, I see some inconsistencies here in what I'm being taught and what's being li lived out, especially in the church body. And, and I see some inconsistencies in scripture and things like that. And my generation and my one before me more, were just like, well, if I, if I want to stay in this social network that I feel safe and comfortable and a part of, I, I just have to keep my mouth shut and and right. keep my head down and go, okay, yes, I guess I'm going to decide to believe that as well. But more and more so, especially um, your generation, generation following, there's people saying, uh, I have some questions here <laughs> and I yeah, want some so answers. <laughs> this, is, this is what I think about um, our faith and doctrine and and changing climate. Um, I, I think that it's not a bad thing to have doctrine. I think it's just a way to for a community to agree on what you believe together so that there's some shared culture and a shared understanding. Um, but the thing is, things do change. And one of the things that changes is we learn new things. So for example, we are learning new things about science. We're learning new things about um, the virus. We're learning new things about climate. Um, and so I think when we learn new things, sometimes those new things challenge the doctrines that we were taught. Mm -hmm. And and that's okay. That's That's what happens when we learn new things. And I think what we have to do is to not be so afraid to negotiate the doctrines that we have been taught in light of the new information, in light of this change. And I think it's just like what you said, a lot of times people are so threatened by it because it means that 
their faith will crumble. It means they will lose their community. It means they will lose the certainty in their own hearts that is so vital to being human. And I don't fault people from that because we're made, I think that's the way we're wired. We need certainty, we need community, we need all of those things. And so I think that what I would hope people would do is not necessarily that when new information arises that you chuck everything that you believe out the window, but I think that you have to try to at least be willing and open to renegotiate some of those doctrines that you grew up with, especially when it violates that main thing that you were raised with, which is to love your neighbor and to love the marginalized people. Um, and, th and that's the problem that I think I speak out the most against because I'm okay if people have doctrine, I'm okay if people have belief, but I'm not okay if those things end up hurting people in really serious ways. Yeah, I like that. So um, I kind of interrupted, oh no, I didn't kind of, I, I interrupted you. You were telling your story about how you got to where you did this book. You became a parent and um, at, at this whole time of, of kind of going, questioning some of the stuff that you had been brought to, um, had been brought up to believe that's right. So, no, you didn't interrupt me. I was finished telling my story. I think that what I was saying just a little bit here about renegotiating the doctrines that I grew up with, that's what I was doing with my book. I was, I was renegotiating what I have always believed to make sure that in light of the new information that we have, um, that I'm doing the right thing by my kids. So for instance, we are learning new things about even child development. Like we understand that when a toddler throws a tantrum, they aren't trying to be malicious. It's just a normal developmental behavior where they're differentiating from their caregiver. This is something that people didn't know before, before the advent of child psychology and development science. And so now that we know this, well, then how does that change the way that we used to think um, theologically about children, um, which is a lot of times we think, oh, they're rebelling and it's because of the sin in their hearts. And it's like, no, they're not being sinful by throwing a tantrum. They are actually behaving in a normal, healthy, developmental way. And so how then do we treat this child, this two-year-old who's throwing a tantrum, do we condemn them? And I think the answer that I've come up with is no, we don't condemn them. We support them and we love them and we, we understand them and we listen to them. And I think that ends up being much more healthy for the child and for the parent. And eventually, hopefully these ideas and concepts become normalized and that even the larger you know, faith community can accept it and we can just begin to treat children with more justice, mercy, and kindness. Okay. So let's, let me jump in then right there with that one. So, uh, the, I'll go back far enough, hopefully that I won't, uh, ruffle any feathers of anybody alive. So my grandparents, their mindset was more, um, uh, that when your child's throwing a tantrum, you've got to give them some kind of sting physically to, to let them know that's not acceptable. 
what uh, would you recommend then uh, specifically in, in dealing with that? Yeah, no, I, I don't think, I think we have to respect our children's physical autonomy. Um, you know, we don't think it's okay for adults to hit other adults, like that's assault and that's a crime. And so I think we have to challenge the way we parent our kids in that, that, that we have to see that they are also human beings, that they also deserve respect, they also deserve for to be protected from harm. And, um, and no matter how you spin it, you know, spanking and love or, or all that stuff, it's the, the child can't always interpret it that way. They don't see love, all they feel is pain on their body. Um, and so that's not helpful at all. It's not gonna help you correct the misbehavior that you're trying to correct. And it's going to um, bring a wedge between a relationship between you and your child. Um, and so not only is it not helpful, like it doesn't work in the long run, maybe in the short run it works, but in the long run, it's not going to help. And also, I think it's morally, it's not the right thing to do. We're, we're, we should not be allowed to hit children. <laughs> um, and so there's so many other ways. And I think a lot of times we aren't willing to imagine different ways of supporting our children because we just go to what we've always known, which is maybe spanking or, you know, verbal lashing, right? Because that's the way we were treated. A lot of times it's, that's the way we were parented. So that's all we know. But I think the challenge is that we can explore other ways. And there are many, many resources for how um, we can you know, gently correct a child's behavior or deal with some of the problematic things that happen in, every, in everyday parenting without ever resorting to physical punishment. So there's the, I think I hear what you're saying is there's not one, one size fits all in every situation way to deal with a, a tantrum. Uh, That's but, right. Okay. Good. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's, there are, there are lots of suggestions that a lot of parents have found helpful. And that's why some of these resources like parenting communities are really helpful because you can share ideas and, and you can share ideas with people who are also committed to, let's say not spanking children. Right. And then, mm -hmm. then having that common baseline, like, okay, how do I deal with this? And then beyond that, there are lots of different ways and it really depends on your child's temperament and the context, whether or not it's possible. A lot of times some families have lots of siblings. And so you can't just sit and hold your child for, you know, half an hour. That's not possible. So how then do you deal with it? And so there's different scenarios um, according to, to different families. And I think this, this is more kind because every child is different. Um, and so to be willing to respect children for the differences in personalities and, and, you know, their level of sensitivity, I think is just kind, right? It's the kind thing to do. Yeah. I like your answer because I know everybody would like, here's the thing to do when your child's throwing a tantrum. Uh, and, but you're saying, no, there's, it depends on circumstances. It depends on the child. If every child is different and they're going to learn in different ways. Are you, are you comfortable with giving one or two 
examples of some other um, thing you might do? Yeah. Um, so if your child is throwing a tantrum, I feel like you can, first of all, just make sure that they're in a safe space, that they're not going to hurt anybody and just let it run its course. Because a lot of times they just need to move through their feelings, right? And, I, and that's one of the big things I talk about is I think when we, we often suppress our children's feelings, which leads to adults suppressing feelings and we're just not um, allowed to have big emotions. And I think it's really healthy and, and developmentally important for children to move through that phase of tantruming because it allows them to feel secure in knowing that their emotions are valid. And I think that emotional security that they feel helps them then regulate their emotions as they get older, as their body develops the capacity to be able to regulate their emotions. And so um, I think a tantrum, um, I think we have to change our minds about what the tantrum is. You know, if we can see it as, oh, they are expressing their big emotions. And then the second thing is we have to try to see the thing behind the thing. So they're throwing a tantrum. What is it that they're communicating? A lot of times they're saying, I'm hungry or I'm tired or I'm overwhelmed by some of the changes that have happened in my family. And so you don't punish a child for being hungry. You give them food, <laughs> right? So don't punish for don't punish them. Try to hear their tantrum as their, their language for communicating a need and then meet that need. Hey there, listeners. This is John Anderson. Real quick, I want to tell you about something I'm excited about and it will help you tremendously. It's my new book, The Acceptance. It's the culmination of many years of my work with marriages and relationships. It's subtitled, What Brings and Keeps Lifelong Love. The acceptance gets to the core of what drives us to look for a lifelong mate and how that drive continues to play out in all our relationships, especially with our spouse. The acceptance also exposes the myths that interfere with our relationships and provides practical applications for everyday use. I think you will find it to be one of the most unique and thought-provoking books you've ever read on relationships. You can get the hardback, paperback, and ebook versions on Amazon. Just search for The Acceptance by John R. Anderson. Now back to the show. I, I keep wanting to get ahead of myself, but then I hear something, you say something that reminds me of something else in your book. You talk about one thing there, uh, speaking of feeding your child, uh, food is love, and uh, I, well, speak a little bit about that. Um, I think that food is yeah, it's just such a big part of a parent's job, right? Like it's literally our first job is to feed our children, and so I think having a healthy relationship with food is really important. I think what I did in my book was I I was trying to talk about consent. I was talking about helping our children um, know what they like and what they don't like. And I think that's a really important skill that a lot of people, even as adults, we don't know what we like and what we don't like because we were never given opportunities in our childhood 
to practice that skill, to practice listening to our desires and our needs and, and honoring it. Um, and so, so food is one of those ways that it's just an opportunity that's very readily available at, you know, three times, at least three times a day or even more with young kids that you can help them discover for themselves. What do they like? What do they not like? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that was a context that I used food in my book. Okay. I'm going to do a little pushback on that, which I'm sure you're going to have a good answer for. I'm imagining being the person hearing this and going, yeah, well, if I was allowed to discover what I want to eat as a child, I would have discovered sugar and I would have said, oh, I tried vegetables. No, thanks uh, on the vegetables. Just give me sweets. Yeah, I think that that is, I think we always jump to that. I don't know why. I feel like we just, I think it's an assumption that we have of our children that they're always going to choose the worst things for themselves. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I think, I think it, it's a little bit scary, but you can test it, you know, let your child eat whatever they want for one week and, and they choose, you know, they choose chocolate, they choose ice cream and they gorge and they get full and uncomfortable and maybe they'll be like, I don't know. I don't feel so good. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I think that it's possible. And, mm -hmm. and if not, if it really does get out of control and they're hurting their bodies and they're not um, having the, they're not willing to, to change, then yes, I do think it's appropriate for the parent to step in and, and, you know, create some of those boundaries for our kids because yeah, our kids are still developing. They might not have the kind of self-control that they need yet. Yeah. But I, I just feel like we always assume that our kids are going to choose the worst from themselves when it's not necessarily true. I would give the kids a chance. Well, yes, I can, I can vouch for you for what you're saying with my own grandson, my oldest daughter, who's 30. And, um, he, you know, she puts out different kinds of food for him that the rest of the family's having and some of it he rejects and some of it he, you know, he just chews on, on that one thing, but that happens less and less. Um, she doesn't force feed him. I think, is that what you were talking about? We don't want to be food spoon fed love mm -hmm. that it's right. a, that when that love gives us, um, I, I can't think of the word, but love gives us respect, uh, respect and mm -hmm. gives us, uh, we, we have choices that, um, that when we're loving somebody, we're giving them choices. We're not, we're not making right. them do something. Anyway, all that to say, my grandson eats pretty much any kind of food there is. And he loves vegetables and <laughs> loves, you know, <laughs> um, everything that's put in front of him. And yeah. prob probably, you know, if he, if he was just given junk food, he might choose that but he's given the others too and and not as much junk food well he doesn't when i say junk food it's not like you know they give him candy and, and potato chips but stuff that's right. not quite as healthy yeah right and, and yeah. it's, it's kind and of it, amazed me it, that you know this kid eats eats everything he's i mean when when he was eight months old he was eating pretty much any kind of every kind of food yeah 
Yeah. Well, my Korean friends, I'm always surprised because my Korean friends raise little babies who eat super spicy food. And I'm, <laughs> you know, I didn't grow up eating spicy foods. I'm, I'm surprised that they do. But yeah, I think kids often, of course, they're very adaptable to the environment they're in. And, and I, when I talk about giving kids choice, of course, we have, we can't possibly give them every single food in the planet to our kids. So we're, we are still making choices. But I think I'm, I'm more talking about the underlying principle that we allow our kids opportunities to discover what they like and don't like. And it doesn't have to be food, it could be so many other things that I think whenever we can, help them hone their skills of knowing their likes and dislikes. It's, it's just really, really important, not just in food and, and clothing, but in relationships, um, because then they are able to tell the people they're in relationship with what they like and don't like. The evidence is overwhelming. Reputable and proven marriage intensives have a far higher success rate than counseling or therapy for marriages that are struggling or even failing. I myself am a counselor. I earned my master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and I see multiple couples in my office on a weekly basis. But unless it's premarital counseling, I don't work with a couple until after they have been through a proven intensive. I've now led more than 126 such intensives over the past 15 years. The University of Washington found that only 17% of couples in crisis who start with counseling will still be married just two years later. However, two separate studies have shown that at least 72% of the couples who have attended an intensive that I conducted are still married. You can't find a better choice for turning your marriage around than our intensive Love Reboot. Come join the thousands who have attended a love reboot and are now experiencing a thriving, vibrant marriage. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. That's growinglovenetwork.org. You, you talk a lot and, and I'm putting, I'm using my own words. So you uh, please use your words, but um, you talk a lot about helping children develop their creativity and uh, that, that God is a creator and we're made in God's image to create. And that's mm-hmm. some of the, uh, that's some of the word, the most joy and meaning and fulfillment in life comes from creating and in uh, everybody uh, is a creator, sort of, so to speak, right? That's right. Uh, and so, h- how do you help guide that creation? How do you help bring that creativity out in your children? And uh, what does that mean? Like, it, it's, it's, is it creative to be a business person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that I really do want to expand our definition of what it means to be a creative because the way I grew up, I always thought of creative creative people as like artists or performers. Um, and because I couldn't draw and I was too maybe shy to perform or I didn't have the skills to sing and dance, I didn't think that I was a creative. And, and, then, it, and then I kind of missed out on my own calling, which was to be a writer because I didn't see, um, yeah, I guess I just didn't see in myself that that was an act of creation. And so I, I think that 
um, I think everything, I think by simply existing, <laughs> we are creators because we are telling some sort of story with the way that we live our lives, the way we move our bodies, the words that we speak, um, the relationships that we build, like all of that I think is an act of creation. And, and so I think kids are creators because just by existing, they are creating new things. They're telling new stories. They're being who they are in this world. Um, and so I don't really think you have to do anything to cultivate it. I think you just have to see it for what it is and to enjoy it. I mean, I think that's what art is. Art is just, there's no purpose. Art has no um logistical purpose except that it's to be enjoyed right um and so just enjoy enjoy your kids for who they are enjoy them for the way that they change your life <laughs> and the lives of people around them and i think that that kind of affirmation will will help kids figure out and then in combination with some of my other things about discovering what they like and don't like, if they are celebrated and enjoyed for who they are and they know what they like and don't like, then they will find a way to be the kind of creator that they're meant to be. Um, and it's not just one thing, it could be many things, but at, at different phases of their life, right? But I feel like they find a way. I feel like it, that's what it means to be human. So it sounds like you're saying uh, let them explore different ways to be creative and That's make right. and then make space for them uh, to uh, develop that creativity. Yeah, and I think as I think as adults we have the responsibility to provide resources and access, right? right? Because, you know, a, a child they may like to draw but they don't they can't go to the store and buy crayons and paper. Um, and so that's the access part. It's like we can help them and we can support them and we can give them the resources to do what it is that they want to do. And it could be like I know of a kid who is a little budding journalist, right? Mm -hmm. And so they are, yeah, they want to have a YouTube channel. They want to interview people. But kids don't have a lot of access to those things. And that needs to change. But before the world changes enough to accommodate them, we can help by, you know, making some phone calls for them or giving them, you know, the tools that helping them learn the skills of what they need to do to create the thing that they love. That just reminds me again of my grandson. You know, we, we tried to help our children be creative, but like you were saying, it was all kind of artistically or, you know, like building things with Lego, provide them Lego and building blocks and, paper and crayons and markers and all that stuff. But I, my, my grandson doesn't really care about drawing and, and, and you build something out of Lego for him and he just wants to destroy it. <laughs> he wants to pick it up and throw it against the ground, you know, but he, yeah. he is, he loves excavators. Mm. The, the big machine that, that digs, you know, some people call them diggers and he, that's what he calls them. Dig digs. But so we've that's discovered so that that's that he's there. He's he is being creative as he plays because at least in his mind he's creating scenarios. He's creating stories. You could just you could almost see his mind creating himself in the seat of that excavator and the holes that he's digging and things like that. And so we just we 
buy him excavators. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah. bought, I just bought him one that he can sit on and, and pretend like he's, and, but you know, I keep trying to get him to sit on it and he doesn't want to sit on, he wants to sit in front of it and just grab the, the arm of the bucket and do that. And I, and I, what you, I, I'm hearing from you, what I'm realizing, what you're saying here is he may eventually sit on it. Let him discover that for himself. Let him right. create. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, like what, I like what you're saying. Yeah. So often it's, and this applies at so many levels, but we have in mind what, what they're supposed to be doing with their creativity. We have like this goal and we're kind of stunting that creativity when we try to pigeonhole them into here's what it means to create with this medium. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that he sits in front and not on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they challenge us, right? They help us see things in a different way. And that's what the, that's the beauty of the diversity of being of human beings, because they show us a different way of living in this world and then we can learn from it. And and it makes our lives richer. And yeah, so I think kids definitely do that for us. And I would love for us to to celebrate that instead of trying to make them do it our way. Yeah. Well, here, here's another quote from your book. Parenting may be less about raising our children and more about raising ourselves. Expound on that one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it's more, I think it's more like 90% and 10% <laughs> because I, it's, it's like all the questions that you've been asking me, how do we deal with a child with a tantrum? How do we cultivate a child's creativity? How do we raise children with justice, mercy, and kindness? It's not really about what you do to the child. It's about changing your mind about what it means to be in relationship with the child, right? So with a tantrum, it's not about what you do to them. It's about understanding. It's about knowing how we can respect a child. It's about healing some of the pains that we have endured as a child of being hit or, or whatever. Um, and then when we do that work, when we do that work of healing, when we do that work of changing our minds, then it's really not much parenting left. <laughs> then all it is is, okay, I see you, I hear you, I understand you, I love you, I celebrate you. And that's, that's all that's left. That's the parenting that's left. But the work is the internal changing of your mind and, and reframing. Um, and so absolutely, I think parenting, you know, if you want to parent a child who is empathetic, let's say, then I think the most important work is you have to become an empathetic person (laughs) and you have to be empathic towards your child. And when you do that, then that is your best chance of raising an empathetic child. Um, And so, so you can see where's that work. It's not in what you do to your child. It's in how you change yourself. Sounds a lot like you're saying, the more that we love our child the way God loves us, then the more that we grow to do that, then the better we're in. So in other words, uh, God does not force us into anything. God does not say, this is what you're going to do in life. And, and uh, here's how you yeah, do Yeah, I don't think love is coercive. Yes. Love is not coercive. 
So that comes to um, another part about raising them with uh, that you talk a lot about in about raising them with values versus, well, I, I don't, I'm going to read this statement here out of your book. Okay. Providing a set of values for a child to live into is markedly different in terms of power dynamics than demanding a child adhere to a doctrine, to doctrine. Mm-hmm. The former compels while the latter coerces. Yeah, that's right. What do you mean yeah. by that? I, I think a lot of people, because I speak out against authoritarian parenting, which is like very strict, very much you, my way or the highway type of parenting, I think that's very harmful. And so a lot of people feel like, okay, well, if we don't want to do that, then it just means kind of free for all. Like the kids can just run wild and do whatever they want. And I don't really think that's very loving either, because I think our kids do need boundaries and they need um, to understand clearly who they belong to and where where they belong. And so I think you provide belonging in your family and And I think to be loving to them is to give them clarity in what it means to be a part of your family. So you can say, yeah, to be, you know, so I'm brand, right? To be a brand is to be kind to other people, to not say mean things to other people. Like those are values. And you're not necessarily saying you have to be this way, but you're giving them that sense of belonging, that sense of like, yeah, this is, this is who we want to be. Um, this is the kind of person we want to be. And, and that's not coercive. Um, that's just giving them the clarity and giving them the, the, um, the guidance. And then they can decide if they want to be that person, um, if they want to grow into that person, if they want to also reach for that goal of, of kindness or, or whatever it is, um, generosity or hospitality. You know, I think every family has different values. Um, and that's, that's, that's great. Again, that's the beauty of diversity. And so, yeah, I would encourage families to really sit down and, and come up with their sort of manifesto and it could be fairly broad in general, but, um, I think giving our kids those values is is very helpful for their development and is is kind and just. But yeah, I do think it's very different than saying you have to behave this, 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 or else punishment. Okay, I'm going to make this short and to the point. The podcast you're listening to, Relationship Rewire, is a free service to the public provided by Growing Love Network a nonprofit organization. That means we don't make a profit. In fact, to be able to do what we do, which is to provide top-notch innovative help for marriages, we rely on donors so that everyone can have access to the help they need, regardless of the ability to pay. Won't you take a moment, hit the pause button, and go to growinglovenetwork.org. Click on the donate button and give what you can. If you're not sure about it at this moment, hit pause anyway, just for 15 seconds, and ask yourself if this is what you should do. Go ahead. I'll wait. Hello, this is Max Lucado. You're listening to Relationship Rewire. That's, uh, we tried to, you know, I think 
we 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 make following Christ uh, so difficult sometimes for ourselves, for those around us, uh, when we get off focus from the great commandment to love God with all you got and love your neighbor and love yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and when uh, you know what we try to do with our children is is we run everything through the uh, all your decisions. Is this right or wrong? This is this something I should pursue? Is that run it through? How does this affect others? Yeah, and and that's good. And and it kind of makes it simplify. So you know, does does this hurt other people? Does it take from other people, or does yeah. it give? You know, is it life giving? I think that's what I hear you saying. I love that. Yeah, and, and I it's, do love that. So it's uh, I also hear you saying it's it's more about influence, not coerce, not coercion, and the, that's right. And use the the term authoritarian. And mm-hmm. there's, uh, so as a psychologist, you know, there's kind of these three basic types of parenting, permissive, authoritarian, and authoritative. authoritative. And That's you're right. talking more about the authoritative where we say, here's why this is a good thing to do. And here's why that's not a good thing to do. Right. Versus, versus authoritarian would be more like, no, you're going to do it because I said so. <laughs> That's right. And I think the difference between authoritarian and authoritative is that we are giving our children um, values and guidance, but we're, it's not um, required. It's not permanent. For, okay. It's not permanent. It's, it's subject to change it's, and it's open to negotiation. Mm. Um, and so I, I think there can be a discussion between the parent and the child on what your values are. And I think there's also permission given for them to change that, you know, after they leave home, maybe they want to adopt different values and to, to say, yeah, that's, it's ultimately your choice. It's your decision. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a better way. So many people parent out of that. There's this understood message that, if you don't do it the way I tell you to, then, uh, yeah, I'm always going to love you, but I don't accept you. I don't approve of you. And it's, yeah. that's, that's, is that what you would call coercion? Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's manipulation, right? Yeah. That's withdrawing love and um, using, using love withdrawal as manipulation. So, yes, mm. I definitely think that's unhealthy. Yeah, that's not good. I like this. Quote here, inevitably our children will experience doubt and we can help by strengthening their tools of investigation. What does it mean to help them by strengthening their tools of investigation? Well, what are the tools of investigation? It's asking questions and finding answers to those questions. Um, And so I think a lot of times we shut down our children's questions. We, when they do ask questions, we say, we ignore them or we don't take it seriously or we give them answers that are not satisfactory to them. And so I think, yeah, that's one tool of investigation. Another tool is um, reading, right? (laughs) Doing research and reading and talking to other people. Um, So those are tools of investigation. When they begin to have questions, how can we be um, making access, giving them access to, read the books that they that may help them help them talk to the people that may help them and also addressing their questions seriously 
this is not to say that we can give them answers, especially when it comes to like spirituality or even religion. Like there's so many, a lot of times we don't have certain answers and we may not even have answers that are satisfactory to ourselves. But I think you can still take the question seriously by validating that because it communicates to your child that it is okay to ask these questions. In fact, people all over have these same questions and it, it, um, and it encourages them that seeking truth, seeking answers is, is a worthwhile thing to do. Um, so that's, I think, what I mean by tools of investigation. Sounds like you're also saying it's okay to sometimes go, I don't know the answer for that. Let's go see if we can find one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's I, a lot of times it's true. We don't know the answer, but I think we, when we are asking these questions, we're seeking maybe not an answer, but a response that satisfies us in some way and maybe not a hundred percent but it just it feels right and true and comforting i think we're seeking that and i think it's important we meet those needs in all of us not just our kids um and so so yeah i think it's important we support our children when they are going through this very human thing that we all do which is have doubts and questions and and uh, a quest for for truth mm. and belonging um, and all those things well Cindy I have a whole bunch of questions that we don't have time for but yeah let me let me ask you one more uh, okay. if I, if you were to sum up this book what would you say is the is the biggest idea the biggest point that you want people to, to get from it well i think i think i have a line in the book that i always say is we do justice to our children so that we could do justice together with our children um, so that's how i would sum up the book and mm -hmm. that's what it's about how can we treat our children with justice for justice um, that's it i like that I like that. Well, what, what do you got next? Uh, now that you've written, is this your first book? It is my first book. Yeah. I, I'm working on some children's books, so there may be some news about that coming soon, but oh, um, good. That's, that's what's next. Well, um, so how many children do you have? I have two. Two. And how long have you been married? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. That's right. Wow. Well, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on here. And uh, how can people hear more about you, get to know more? Uh, is yeah, there... uh, you can go to my website, cindywongbrandt.com. Um, so that's Cindy. Wong is spelled W-A-N-G, and Brandt has a silent D, so B-R-A-N-D-T. Cindywongbrandt.com, and you can find all my information there. Okay. Do you have, is there a blog on there? Some other resources? What's what? Yes. What can, so I have a blog, I have a podcast, I have conferences. Um, you can find all of that there. And of course you can buy my book parenting forward. Okay. I guess you can get that on Amazon. Well, I know I got mine on Amazon, so. Yes. You can get it from <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on and giving me this opportunity to talk about my book and these ideas that are very important to me. So thank you. Oh, pleasure's me. mine. Pleasure's mine. Thank you so much, Cindy.
Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize relationships for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this or any of our episodes. Send us an email to relationshiprewire at gmail.com.